Welcome to On DoD on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. Now, your host, Jared Serbu. Glad you're with us this week. On our program this time, we're going to talk in detail about some of the innovative things the Army is doing in cyber acquisition. The goal is pretty ambitious in the context of a defense acquisition system that's infamous for its slowness, getting new tools acquired in 30 days or less. It's a project of the newly established Product Office for Defensive Cyber Operations, part of the Program Executive Office for Enterprise Information Systems. As you'll hear this hour, to achieve that kind of speed, the Army decided it needed to reorient not just its acquisition process, using a mix of traditional contracts and other transaction agreements, but also its requirements process. Our guest this hour is Lieutenant Colonel Scott Helmore, the Product Manager for Defensive Cyber Operations. Colonel, thanks, first of all, for coming on and doing this. I appreciate it. And uh, we should probably start by just giving folks a little bit of background on where the Defensive Cyberspace Operations Office within PEOEIS came from. Just a little over a year old at this point, I think. So if you would, could you just spend a couple minutes with us talking about where your office came from, what's it for, uh, what's your what's your mission? Sure, um, and I'll try not to go into too many details with it, but in 2012, um, that was when the Army stood up uh, Army Cyber Command. In about 2014, uh, 2015 timeframe, it realized that it needed to start buying some additional uh, capabilities for its soldiers as, as it started to mature. And so what that caused is it caused the creation of four operational need statements, uh, which were validated by headquarters DA, um, and then were resourced in the 2015 timeframe. And basically what happened at that point in time is they farmed out the requirements to several different uh, program executive offices, depending on whether it was offensive in nature, uh, defensive in nature, um, or training uh, in nature. So there are three PEOs uh, that work within the um, Army cyberspace uh, material development process. And so the first one is on the offensive side, that is uh, PEO, IE, WNS, uh, Intelligence Electronic Warfare, or Information Electronic Warfare. They are out of uh, Aberdeen. Uh, there is PEO STRI, which does uh, simulation and training out of Orlando, and then PEO EIS, uh, Enterprise Information Systems, here at Fort Belvoir, which got the defensive mission. Outside of one component, which was the tactical aspect, um, if there were any tactical requirements, then that would remain um, or go to PEO C3T, which really focuses in on the tactical uh, out of Aberdeen. Um, and so. We went through basically standing up in a single office uh, under a single individual at the time whose job it was to uh, farm the requirements out to the appropriate PMs that existed within the PEO. Um, over time, these requirements grew. Um, so by 2016, uh, there was actual funding inside the president's budget. Uh, 2017 is when uh, there was additional funding added in, so our office, of course, was stood up in the 2016 timeframe, the very end of it in December, so that as at this point in time, they started to move towards the desire of programs of record. And so also then at the end of 2016, uh, they approved a JSIDS document placing us under information technology box. It's a flex very flexible requirement document style which delegates further approval for requirements down to the lowest level. 
And what happened in 2017 is we delegated that down to the two-star level. Traditionally, all requirements would be approved uh, by the joint staff via the JSIDS process. And the IT box, they are able to delegate that to the Army, uh, which is the Army Requirements Oversight Council, who further delegated it down to the Army Requirements Oversight Council Review Board, commonly known as the ARB. Um, so all of then our requirements were able to be approved by that level. That level has further delegated additional requirements approval down to Army Cyber Command um, and to TRADOC, uh, Level Training and Doctrine Command. So what that meant then is we needed to have a very fast and responsive program office. Now you have flexible requirements. Uh, you need to have an acquisition office that can respond to those. So we stood up uh, PDM DCO, Product Manager Defensive Cyber Operations, uh, to respond to all of the PEO EIS requirements. And now we are getting ready to add additional capabilities by elevating that uh, PDM DCO and making it Project Manager uh, Defensive Cyber Operations and putting it up at the uh, 06 level so that we can apply additional um, resources to it. And then again, to give us flexibility, what we're looking to do is make acquisition decisions uh, delegated down to the 06 level. Um, so those are just some things that we've done to, to get us to today. And that's a lot, a lot there, obviously. So at the end of the, those several different layers of, of delegation, what you have is really just TRADOC and our cyber as, as, your, as, as the folks that you get requirements from. Are your end customers really just the cyber protection teams? Is it broader than that? Are there other capability providers to those CPTs? So our, our primary focus today is on the cyber protection brigades, which uh, the cyber protection teams report to. Um, so the Army has 41 cyber protection teams uh, in all of its compos, all three compos. Uh, there are three brigades, uh, one in each compo. So uh, the active brigade uh, down at Fort Gordon, um, we've stood up a National Guard brigade here in the National Capital Region as well as a reserve brigade. Those brigades, the compo 2-3, the reserves and National Guard, are in the process of standing up their cyber protection teams. The teams on the active side are all stood up. Um, and that is our primary focus today, to get them the equipment. However, there's additional requirements to give additional re equipment to other organizations within Army Cyber Command. And I want to stick with the requirements process a, a little bit. In your experience so far, delegating, delegating the requirements process down as far as it is, how much faster is it? Can you give us some sense of that? How much faster is it? How much more agile is it compared to what we would think of as a traditional Jason's process? Um, so I, I can't give you a frame, time frame in the sense of saying, uh, wow, well, we've really shaved off X amount of, of months from it. But what you can basically say from that is by going to, these, to the lower levels, uh, you're still having uh, a uh, scrutiny from senior leaders. Uh, so you're still having senior leader involvement. But what you're really getting at is What's that level of involvement that really understands the requirement the most and understands its implications across multiple other requirements? And so what you find is at the, about the two-star level, um, that's that right sweet spot where they're seeing across offensive, defensive, um, and training. Um, but yet they're not in such a, a situation where you're trying to educate them. They know what's going on with it. They can make a decision fairly rapidly. 
Um, and so what we are seeing now is we're going faster and faster, where it's taken us about a year to get to today from when we started going down this delegation process, and that includes the delegation. Um, now we're talking about every couple of months, uh, every two months to be exact, spinning out uh, new requirements. And, and as far as I know, I, I have never seen anything faster from my perspective. Yeah. Okay, so as you said, uh, this sort of calls for an acquisition process that's as fast as that faster requirements process. So talk me through what you've done over the past year to to try and and, uh, meet that task. Yeah, so two two things we had to do for that. First of all, um, in order to have, if you've got flexible requirements, you've got to have some type of funding that's respons- that that is just as responsive to those. So the first thing that we've been able to do, uh, working with headquarters, DA, and Congress, is we've been able to to get a single budget line. Um, and so all of our programs of record, of which there are currently going to be 11 um, within the D- defensive cyber umbrella. All of those are within one funding line by appropriation. So there's a funding line for procurement, a funding line for research and development, but there is not separate funding lines for deployable capabilities, tools capabilities, analytics capabilities within those lines. What that allows us to to do is when the requirement comes in very quickly, uh, we can take a look at where we may have some trade space without having to go back into headquarters DA. So at the program management level, we have the ability to quickly do a trade space of something and say, well, we have, there's an urgent requirement for analytics, as an example, which we just recently had. Um, let us uh, take money from mission planning and apply it very quickly to analytics, and, and that can be done instantaneously. Um, so that's one way. Now we've got the resources. Now you have to have the acquisition vehicle to do it. Um, and so the acquisition vehicle aspect of it is what got us to look at other transaction agreements, Um, as well as working um, to build a dedicated support acquisition cell, contracting cell, uh, via Rock Island Contracting Office. And with them working out a a process whereby um, we have a code basically that tells if this was a urgent requirement, we use a certain code word for it, and that means within 72 hours you need to have a contract awarded of some kind to it. Um, Then we have another one that's basically at 45 days, you must have a contract awarded uh, in support to it. So we have a tiered contracting code level that allows the contracting office to understand the warfighter's priorities. Um, Then under the OTA process, what we found is we really needed a way to collaborate. The fastest way to help industry understand what the government needs is to have a lot of communication with them. Um, And that's what really led us down the pathway of looking at other transaction agreements is that ability to freely collaborate with industry um, and not feel that we are in a situation where there's a conflict of interest. Uh, And that's what led us down the pathway of a consortium approach as well, using a consortium as a group that we can freely converse with uh, together and help industry one another to, to point out where one industry member has a as an example, a superior software and another industry member has a superior piece of hardware, we can make recommendations to them within the consortium that they come together. Then the last piece that we did to it was we determined that within the OTA process, it was still too slow. We needed to develop a process whereby it would be faster. um, And the way that we're doing that is by co-locating decision makers. So in traditional contracting, what happens is we send out an RFI to industry, a request for information, they come back over a couple of weeks, 
um, with whatever their responses are. We digest that over a couple of weeks. Then we go back out again with a performance work statement. That takes several more weeks. Uh, then we, in our review of the performance work statements or their proposals um, that, that come back, it takes us several more weeks of review, which goes to a contracting office, which they then review, and you can see the iteration. There's a lot of back and forth, back and forth of information. If we eliminate that by putting everyone into the same environment, and I, and I say that because it doesn't necessarily have to be the same physical space, um, but you put everyone into the same environment um, and dedicate time and resources to it, you can streamline all of your activities. Um, and that's what we're doing under the C-Rapid process, is we are putting the test people physically in the same place. We are putting uh, the contracting folks physically in the same place. We are putting the subject matter experts, which is the user community, in this case the Cyber Protection Brigade, uh, in the same physical space. We are putting technical SMEs in that space, and we are putting the PM. So everybody who's a decision maker um, is in the room um, and votes to say what they think the best solutions are as we move forward. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Helmore is the product manager for defensive cyber operations in the Army's program executive office for enterprise information systems. We'll come back and talk more about how the Army's working to dramatically speed up cyber acquisition in just a moment. This is on DOD on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Jared Serbu. Back on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM, this is On DoD. I'm Jared Serbu, talking this week with Lieutenant Colonel Scott Helmore. He's the Army's product manager for defensive cyberspace operations. And as we've been discussing, DCO is in the early stages of setting up its own consortium for cyber acquisition, using other transaction agreements as one way to speed up the acquisition process, getting cycle times down to under 30 days. And I want to talk a lot more about OTAs and C-Rapid specifically as we go along here. But but just, just to make clear first, it sounds like what you've done so far really is a mix of OTAs and FAR-based procurements based on what you said about the expertise that you're, that you're building uh, with, in partnership with the folks at Rock Island. Based on the work that you've done so far, where are you finding that contracts make sense and where OTAs make more sense? Yeah, thank you for putting it that way. But the, so really what we found is we wanted a mix of innovation and stability. Um, and so when we talk about using FAR-based uh, traditional contracts, that's where we were looking for stability. And, and what I mean when I say stability is when you have a traditional contract, you know that that contractor is going to be there for a while. You know that they're focused on a certain point and, and you're going to have a long-term relationship with them. Um, and so in this case, what we thought was the best way to do it is to focus that contractor, which we would have for every program of record, on integration. Because we always want to have a stable integration platform, someone who's familiar with our fielding environments, our users, um, and all of the materials, no matter the manufacturer. So for each program of record, we decided we will do a single award, which will go full and open um, as of right now. Um, out uh, via traditional FAR-based contract. But then it was, well, sometimes in those type of scenarios, we get stuck with whatever that prime contractor has for innovation. 
And as an example, one defense, major defense contractor, if you award a contract to them, you may be excluding all of the good ideas from another major defense contractor, or you may be excluding all of the uh, innovative ideas from small mom and pop businesses um, who really don't want to be taken over uh, by a larger business. That led us down the pathway of saying to focus on innovation, to focus on speed of relevance, the, uh, being ahead of our threats, but still being synchronized with technology. That's what focused us on, let's look at an OTA and its capabilities. And in those one contract per program of record, I imagine you also had to put a lot of thought into structuring those so that the prime contractor doesn't own the whole thing soup to nuts in perpetuity and that anything you buy via OTAs or any other mechanism can plug in as your needs change. You are exactly right. So there's two things we looked at with it. First, as we're de- developing the contracts, is that the government reserves the right to direct a subcontractor. Um, now, how do we do that is a little bit more challenging than me just saying the government reserves that right. So what we decided is we've got to reduce the contractor's risk. If we're going to tell a contractor that the government may be constantly changing the baseline on them, Um, This meant two different things. One, it goes back to what type of contractor are you trying to select? Are you trying to select a production contractor? No, we're going to select an integration contractor who is used to their baseline changing uh, more often. The second thing to it is it led us down a pathway of saying the government needed to create some type of a capability whereby we could already report into the contractor the risks of them integrating it. That led to the creation of a concept known currently as the FORGE. And so what the forge is in the the CRAP process, uh, it's the very tail end of it, which is known as the crucible event. What this is, is this is the government's facility whereby all of the current defensive cyber capabilities are physically located. So now we can plug in whatever the new piece of software or or equipment is, hardware, um, and see how it impacts every other component, every other system uh, within the DCO uh, suite of capabilities. Um, And so now we can report back to that integration contractor and basically show them what we've already started uh, on the integration side. Okay, so you've you've started us down the road of talking about C-Rapid, so let's get deeper into that. Uh, You've already, as I understand it, been using another OTA consortium, uh, the the C5 consortium, uh, Consortium for Command Control Communications and Cyberspace, over the, the, the past year or so. Were there deficiencies in that process or the way it was structured or the speed at which it was able to operate? I mean, what, what made you decide that you need to develop your own process here? So no matter what uh, contract we utilize um, or what OTA um, we utilize, there's always room for improvement. Um, and in this case, that is that is what we found, is we found a way that we thought that we could improve it, given our niche uh, within cyber. Um, and the ability where I mentioned that we were going to create this facility known as the Forge. And so what we found with the existing uh, OTAs um, and the way that they were governed or operated um, was that they did have the flexibility of making many of the adjustments uh, that we required, but then it came back to the contracting office um, and contracting abilities within the government to make sure that we were unified with those stable contracts, which are the traditional contracts. So we wanted to roll it all under a single umbrella to help make sure that when we were trying to transfer an innovative product into our program of record contracts, that the contracting office 
uh, was aware of both sides of it. So that's really what the initial phase was that led us down the creation of saying, well, we're going to move from the, today's current C5 uh, arrangement and look to create another arrangement. And notice I say arrangement because the C5 can be created elsewhere uh, under another contracting office. The C5 is a consortium. Um, and so that consortium can be moved to a multitude, a multitude of contracting offices, as an example, all, as well as other ones. Uh, and I just use C5 because it's who we currently have uh, contracts with. Um, and so then the other piece was we wanted to find a way to move into a 30-day process. And really what that was about is it takes about 30 days for us to acquire a technology. It takes us about 30 more days for us to do an operational assessment on that. So after I've decided I'm going to buy a limited quantity of it, I now need to assess that quantity and give it to the warfighter. That's a 30-day additional piece. That's 60 days overall. In general, technology is changing uh, every 90 days um, is what we're finding right now. So if your contract process takes 60 to 90 days to do, by the time you've awarded the contract, it's already been subsumed by another capability. So it was again, how do you how do you move that as far to the left as you can, and then how do we start getting things so that we can do an urgent requirement? Um, and to give you an example of an urgent requirement, mm -hmm. uh, I won't go into details of the actual requirement, um, but what we were able to do is using a streamlined process off the Sea Rapid, uh, we were able to go from the day that Army Cyber Command gave us a, a requirement to the day that the contractor was notified that they can proceed forward on it uh, was eight days. Um, and so, again, going from a traditional side where up till now it's been taking us several months to making awards to an eight-day award uh, was a gigantic win for us. No kidding. So that that's, I, I assume, just the prototype stage. That's not full production, but nonetheless. It, it, it is a prototype because, again, we are not currently a program of record, um, but I will tell you it is a, a very large prototype, and it was based off of a very urgent requirement. Um, so there was a existing known prototype, and what we did was uh, um, we greatly increased its capabilities um, as we move forward. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Helmore is the product manager for defensive cyberspace operations. Me and the Army's program executive office for enterprise information systems. We'll talk more after another quick break. This is on DOD on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Jared Surveil. Thanks for listening to federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Helmore is our guest this week. He's the Army's program manager for defensive cyberspace operations. We're talking about how the Army is changing both its requirements and acquisition process to get new cyber defense technologies through the acquisition system in time frames of just a few weeks instead of a few years. As we've been discussing, other transaction agreements are a key part of the toolkit for doing that. And, Colonel, as people know, the department now has the authority to go directly from that, that prototype OTA process directly into production OTAs. Do you have a sense yet of how much you're going to use that authority? I mean, if, if you guys find something that works out of the prototype process, is it basically a given that you're going to do an OTA production contract, or might you do something else? 
So our current strategy is more based off of using the OTA to find new components, new technologies, and then inserting it into the baseline programs. As I mentioned, the mm -hmm. intent is really to have that stable contractors uh, for the programs of record, but constantly go out for an innovative. Now, we do have the ability that if we went back to the, um, the prime integrator um, and said, please put this in product into your uh, system and and they came back and said that the cost would be X amount, um, and yet on the prototype we paid Y amount. Uh, we have the ability to say to go right back and then go back into production um, on that prototype capability. But it is it's currently not as our primary strategy. It's a secondary strategy that it, uh, has been recognized. But even in that other other scenario, if you were if you were asking your prime contractor to insert a particular capability, you could do that without launching an entirely new full and open competition to buy that thing. Um, that is correct. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the the consortium model because it's it's certainly not the only way to do other transaction agreements. DIUX I think has a more direct to industry model. Why why does the consortium model make sense for what you guys are trying to do? Yeah, so there there are two things for me to address on that. So first is, uh, as I kind of mentioned, what we're trying to do is wrap together um, things that already exist. So even though we focus on the consortium, as you mentioned, there's a specific reason that we're focused on that. But when we're talking about the C-Rapid and what we're looking for a consortium management firm to help us with, it's not just on their single consortium. Uh, that they may manage. It may be to, to recommend to us that for this requirement, the best avenue is to utilize DIUX, or for this requirement, the best avenue is to utilize Softworks or T-Rex. Um, so there are different avenues that what we're asking the consortium management firm to do is to say, yes, you will manage the consortium that we will focus our collaboration on, um, but we also want you to help us point out other directions that we should be looking at based off of their abilities. So the reason that we've been focusing on the consortium approach is that collaboration ability uh, that it has. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a bench of smart uh, industry um, experts that not only understand their technologies, but also understand the uniqueness of the Army problem set. And so one of the things that we're specifically looking at is called expansion or is expansion of something called the constellation and the constellation exists today um, in that it is FFRDCs uh, that are bound together inside uh, Army Cyber Command that provide uh, advice and support that then reach back into their research development uh, centers and look to see if they can solve the problem. We want to expand that under the consortium model to include industry. We'd like to take a tiered approach where now certain industry members uh, could be read on to higher levels of classification and could help us solve uh, problems or would be able to know other industry members that might be at a lower classification level but have a great technology. They could aggregate that uh, technology and bring it up to a higher classification on their behalf if that makes sense. It does. So even the amount of work that you're entrusting the, the consortium manager to do in terms of potentially finding avenues outside the consortium, including that, I, I assume that you're not just turning over the entire process, outsourcing the entire process of integrating these 11 programs of record and finding solution sets to this consortium. So what's the balance between what they're going to do and what, what government organic expertise and program management is going to need to do throughout this process? 
Yeah, so a couple of different things that you brought up. Um, one is on the organic side, and I'll hit on that for just a second. Um, because you're right, we're not outsourcing uh, defensive cyber operations to a consortium management firm. Um, what we are asking them to do is to help give us their advice and opinion based off of what they're seeing from industry so they can help us be an intermediary, uh, again, to build this collaboration space. Um, but organically, the government will still be having uh, continual engagements with industry directly. Um, that will not end, especially because we've got these traditional contracts as well. Um, the other thing organically that we are doing is we're focusing right now on helping Tobihanna Army Depot uh, become an organic capability that partners with industry to sustain capabilities because what we found is a gap within uh, our, our organic industrial base is a knowledge of uh, the cyberspace. Um, it is very knowledgeable on the tactical aspects of cyber phase, cyberspace, but when we start getting into these commercial um, examples, we need to have more of an organic industrial base that's ready to support us. And so we're creating more partnerships between, uh, as an example, Toby Hanna Army Depot and certain companies, um, whereby then that relationship allows both of us to have a better understanding of one another and we can sustain um, have additional sustainment capabilities pushed forward without having to pull contractors into a forward deployed environment. They can use the government's organic capabilities to help leverage that. Um, so that's one avenue. Now, from the program management aspect, we still have a milestone decision authority. We still will have baseline programs, and the consortium has nothing to do with those. Uh, that is still the traditional acquisition process, um, whereby we will go through and, and get approval for changes through a configuration steering board, uh, which again is, is the traditional governance uh, for a program of record. And you said earlier that one one contract one contract door for every one of your programs or record is going to be in charge of integrating integrating technologies within that program. But who has the overall responsibility of integrating those 11 to make sure they work together, to make sure that, you know, when you give a cyber protection team a piece of kit, everything just works out of the box and uh, all the different technologies can talk together? So it's a shared responsibility. Um, at the end of the day, the government always has that responsibility um, itself. As a program manager, uh, that is my responsibility to deliver an integrated capability. But what we're doing to answer that is, is two things. One is the FORGE concept where, again, the government has its own ability to, sh to demonstrate the integration um, of these different platforms and only procures platforms that have already been demonstrated uh, to have integration capabilities. And to get there, what we've got to do is we, we're really concentrating our current designs on uh, open design and, and it being modular. Again, with the intent being that we can pull out a single module and go out to industry with an innovative approach and replace it uh, with a newer module, whatever that newer technology is. Then the other aspect to it is, is there is a contractor, um, for lack of a better term uh, that I use, I, I use the one ring to rule them all approach, um, which is uh, our mission planning contractor uh, has the responsibility for integrating all of the capabilities seamlessly into a command and control platform that the operators operate in. So in this case, they've got to build the interfaces between each of the tools, uh, each of the platforms that we use, so that an operator, when they get ready to do a mission, just goes in, 
via that platform and then can access the specific technology abilities of each of our other programs of record. Talking to Lieutenant Colonel Scott Helmore, the product manager for Army Defensive Cyberspace Operations. We'll talk more about what's next with DCO and all the unique acquisition processes we've been talking about after one last break on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. This is On DoD. I'm Jared Servio. Back on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. This is On DoD. I'm Jared Serbu. A few more minutes with Lieutenant Colonel Scott Helmore, the Army's product lead for defensive cyberspace operations. We're talking about the new approaches the Army's taking to speed up its acquisition of cyber tools. The centerpiece is a new other transaction authority consortium called C-Rapid. And Colonel, let's talk at least a little bit about the nuts and bolts of the C-Rapid process and how it's going to work. You, you, you've kind of flicked at different elements of it, like the forge, but 30 days, that's a super fast, super fast time frame. Walk us through the different elements of that, if you could. What happens between sure. day one and day 30? Yeah, so our day one starts the day we either get one of two documents, because there are two ways right now that we can get requirements. One, we can get them via TRADOC, um, which it comes in as a document known as a capability drop. Uh, the second way is we get a requirement that comes in via Army Cyber Command Cyber Needs Form. And, and there is a third way, which I'll come back to, because really what that third way is, is how does industry um, have an, a potential for adding something into this, and, and we're still figuring that piece out, but let me continue going through it. So based off of either a cyber needs form or a capability drop, uh, that becomes day zero uh, for us, or day N. Um, we now take that document uh, in its existing format, which we've already worked with Army Cyber Command and agreed on the format of their cyber needs form. Um, and we push that out uh, to industry via the consortium management firm, um, as well as to academia uh, via something called uh, the um, Army, Army Cyber Analytics Lab, um, and as well as to government solutions via the Constellation. Um, they have 10 days to give us back uh, their responses to it. And all we're looking for in, those, in that first 10 days is their existing um, spec sheets, their existing PowerPoint. We're trying to get it so that industry doesn't have to do a lot of work. Basically, they're going to spend those 10 days taking a look at what the government's requirement is and saying, do we think that this is something we have an answer to? And if it is, they're going to hopefully pull what they already have off the shelf um, in the form of a, a one-pager or two-page sheet or a couple-page presentation or a video and send it to the government. Um, the government will then review those solutions. We have 10 days uh, to review those solutions in and make a potential recommendation back to them. And the recommendation that we're going to make back to them is either uh, your product is close uh, to what we need and we would like additional information on it, your product is what we think you need, or we do not believe at this point in time that your product uh, it will meet the government's requirement. If it's option one or option two, either it's close or we think it is, then we will likely invite you to what we call Shark Tank. Um, and so Shark Tank now is at day 20. Um, and Shark Tank can be done, it's, it is the companies pitching their ideas, uh, like we get traditionally at either one-on-one um, -on -one sessions after industry days, um, or I just had one right before this with a company where the company came in and gave me their, their pitch for what their capability was. 
Um, those pitches can be done uh, in person. Uh, they can be done virtually. Uh, they can be done telephonically. Um, we could do via video capabilities like uh, Skype for Business. Um, and they will demo their product in however they want to demo it. The government will then at the end of it tell them basically a, a rapid analysis of what we think. Uh, their product, is it close? Um, do they need to tighten up a piece of it? Or was there somebody else maybe that the government recommends they partner with uh, and come back to them um, with an alternative suggestion? Five days later from that, uh, what we're saying is we will have an event known as the Crucible. At this point in time, we've down-selected to probably four, maybe five companies. And those four or five companies, we're going to ask them to come to our facility um, here at Fort Belvoir and demonstrate their capability in our environment. That's how we're going to assess whether their capability can be integrated uh, or not uh, in with the rest of the uh, DCO fan, uh, suite of capabilities. Um, and so that process will take a couple of days. Uh, take probably about two or three days for us to go through. At the end of it, uh, we will make a decision on which one we procure. Uh, if we procure any, if we procure more than one, um, and the contracting officer is there on site. So what will happen is there will be about a two-page uh, document uh, that will get signed that says the, you can spend no more than X, Y, and Z to provide the following major capabilities. So uh, what we're really saying is that that last stage, whoever comes into the Crucible event needs to be prepared to negotiate with the government um, and be, have it be empowered to sign a document uh, with the government because leaving there, there will be a contract of some form. Because you're going to be ready to go at that point. That's exactly it. So, <clears throat> so through this whole process, it has given us the amount of time to assess their, their capabilities because a lot of people get hung up on, on – the 30 days, it seems fast. I, 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 to be honest, I think it can go much faster than what we've laid out, um, especially as you start getting uh, up front. Uh, if all I'm asking for is a one or two page uh, document, all we're doing is just asking for your cheat sheets. That should be pretty fast. It should be a quick flick. But we want to give industry enough time that if they want to make adjustments to their capabilities or combine early, they've got that time. It really goes to uh, what the Army uh, uses of a one-third, two-thirds uh, type of a rule. Give give your senior leaders a third of the time, give two-thirds of the time for the execution aspects of it. Um, and that's what we're trying to do here is reverse that. Give industry two-thirds of the time um, and make the government only have a third of that time uh, to make its decision. Then at the end of those 30 days, uh, we'll go out for an operational assessment, as I mentioned. And this was all done under a 60-day window, which is the uh, risk management framework process uh, that we're working towards to say that by the end of 60 days, uh, we want to uh, be able to have an authority to operate on our networks. Yeah, that's that's probably the subject of a 40-minute interview by itself. Let's go back yeah. to the to the front end of the process, though, because as you kind of alluded to, sure. it, it, the, the process is is so fast that one of the risks may be that you're going faster than industry can actually develop new capabilities for you, depending on how complex the requirement is. So, and I understand why you want to keep the paperwork burden relatively light at the at the front end of the process for for the sake of speed. But do you do you have any sort of screening process? That that could tell you whether or not a company may be responding to you with vaporware or something that they can't actually deliver in 30 days. And that is where we are asking the consortium management firm uh, to help us out. Now we don't. What we don't want is we don't want the consortium management firm necking down anyone. That's a government decision. 
but what we're looking for an opinion from the consortium management firm about is the reality of the capability. Um, so they can inform the government uh, of their opinion um, as they move through the process. But again, the, the decision will be the, the government. The other aspect that you kind of brought up is to say, well, are they really going to be ready for the software? This process is designed to say, yes, for the most part, you have a ready idea. Well, in order for you to have a ready idea, that's what, again, got us to the consortium model because you have to understand our problems ahead of time. Otherwise, you'll never have a capability when we need it. Um, and so, again, that's what led us down to the requirement of saying we need to come up with this constellation concept whereby industry is getting fed ideas to say these are problem sets that the government is seeing. Um, another realism question, I guess, would have to do with, mm -hmm. with your requirements. Um, how, how do you make sure that TRADOC and, and R-Cyber are giving you requests that actually you can comply with? So um, two pieces to that. Uh, one is they're, they're the user, so um, they know what the problem set is. So if that's what your question is, the, the user defines my requirement for me. But then from a programmatic perspective, how do I ensure that this is something I should be buying and that someone else shouldn't be buying it? Um, or is this something that would break one of my baselines to the program? Uh, we have a governance structure known as the Cyber Acquisition Task Force. Uh, it meets weekly at the 0506 level, so at the lieutenant colonel colonel level, um, and then it meets uh, at the general officer level at least quarterly. Um, it is that governance body's job to review all of these documents uh, that are coming in, all of these requests, um, and then decide whether it's in the Army's best interest uh, overall to expend resources and time on. Okay, we're, we're just about to run out of time here, so let me, let me just wrap up by asking you, when, when do you think we'll start to see some substantial amount of capability coming out of this C-RAPID process in, in regular repeatable cycles? Yeah, so I mean, first piece, of course, is is I, you know, put the plug in there. Of course, that we've already started uh, to push some of it out. We pushed our mm -hmm. first one out with analytics. Uh, we're getting ready to push another one out via, um, or or the requirement will be uh, visualization capability, network visualization on the passive aspect. Um, but repeatable, um, we're looking to stand up the consortium management firm um, in the March-April timeframe. We are looking to stand up the government's forge. Uh, in the April-May time frame. Um, and so our expectation is by June, uh, we're hitting the ground running. We already have a couple of uh, requirements that we're putting in a holding pattern to run through this process um, as we move forward. One will be a lightweight deployable system small enough to potentially fit underneath uh, a passenger airline uh, seat. Um, and a second one is what we call a canary. If you think of a canary in a coal mine, um, it will be a sensor which will push out to the outer edges uh, of the network, which will come on and activate uh, whenever it sees an intrusion or a potential intrusion. That's Lieutenant Colonel Scott Helmore, the product manager for Defensive Cyberspace Operations, part of the Program Executive Office for Enterprise Information Systems. He joined us for the full hour this week to talk about the innovative approaches the Army's taking to accelerate its acquisition process for cyber defense. If you missed any part of our conversation, the whole show, as always, will be at federalnewsradio.com slash on DOD. Also, in our podcast feed, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. That's it for this week's edition of On DoD. Thanks, as always, for joining us. I'm Jared Serbid. So long.
You've been listening to On DOD with Federal News Radio DOD reporter Jared Serbu. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. On DOD, only on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com.